All right, yo, what's up, everyone? It's Friday of a long weekend. Um, but it's also kind of the end of summer, but like, I've been like praying for fall, just praying. I don't deal well in this humidity. I feel very dumb and I never want to do anything. Okay, so if you're from Toronto or from like anywhere in southwestern Ontario, I think, you know that like the last couple weeks of summer, like the last couple weeks of August, uh, long weekend is CNE time. I'm pretty sure it stands for the Canadian National Exhibition. You can correct me if I'm wrong, it probably doesn't matter. Um, or the X, as we so lovingly call it, let's go to the X. It's like rides that people come in and set up. So they're terrifying because they might just like fall apart at any moment. And there's also a weird building where you can buy like 20 ShamWows if you want. <laughs> the CNE is where Rob Ford ate the Cronut burger that made him sick. <laughs> like if Toronto was a small town and had a fall fair, but Toronto's not a small town, it's the fourth largest city in North America. And then they have a fair. That's essentially what it is. People love it. People love going and waiting in line and standing in massive crowds and paying a million dollars to do anything. I had not been to the CNE since I was a child, like since my parents took me when I was a kid, like a really little kid. Um, and so this year, I was like, all right, I guess in my 30th year, I'm going to the CNE. <sighs> okay, so I just want to explain to you why my CNE experience was so bad. It's just like very busy. It's very busy. There's a million people there. And I don't even really have anxiety about being around people, but I do in those kind of massive crowd situations, I just get really like stressed out, especially when I don't like feeling like I'm in the way or someone else is in my way. And you're like trying to follow your friends around and you're getting lost and you feel like a lost little kid and you have to hold someone's hand. And anyways, it's all very stressful. Also, we went to the food pavilion and I got what should have been a delicious sandwich, a fried pig ear sandwich. Now, I'm from the country. I've eaten a lot of pig ear. It's all very, very good if it's done right. This was like a thin sheet of like cartilage that had been deep fried and then put on a cold bun with a cold piece of cheese and like more bacon for some reason and then like a really gross mayonnaise. I threw a $9 sandwich in the garbage. That is against my personal religion of not wasting food. I tried to eat the whole thing. My friend, who's a very smart person, just got a corn dog, like a genius. All the food at the CNE is bad, except for the like food at fairs that is good, like corn dogs or like french fries or like funnel cake. Like, why the fuck didn't I get a funnel cake? Because the line for the funnel cake was like 70 people deep. Here's my two worst nightmares. Here's the two things that are against my personal religion. I don't like wasting food and I don't like waiting in line. That's it. And essentially that's all the CNE is. It's paying a million dollars for overpriced food that is not very good, but shout out to that cronut for making Rob Ford sick. We should like have saved it and put it at, at the ROM or something. Um, or like framed it and put it in City Hall. I don't know, covered it in gold and made a statue out of it. Who knows? Just ideas for the future. I spent the whole time being stressed out and then because I was stressed out drinking $10 beers. Why didn't I just invite my friends over to my house? <laughs> and like flashlights at them. 
negative shout out to the CNE. I'm never going again. I hadn't been for like 20 years and now I'm never going again. On top of which, Anshman and I were talking before we started recording this. There was all that bullshit around there's a night for teens and then the cops came and broke it up because apparently the teens were causing some shit. But it turns out that they were just like being teens and like running around in packs. And the cops were like, oh no, we cannot have this. We should all be fully armed and like fucking with these teens on teen night at the CNE. So anyways, fuck that shit. Fuck that gross sandwich that I threw in the garbage. Fuck that $10 Muskoka beer I had. But shout out to my beautiful friends. Love you, Bernita. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with me at the CNE. Our guest this week, we are almost named twins. I am Lauren. She is Lauren McKeon. She's the editor-in-chief of This Magazine. Uh, and she recently wrote a really beautiful piece for Hazlitt about her relationship with her sister, who is special needs. And on top of that, the way that people talk about disability, about special needs, that narrative, the narrative that gets placed on you if you are seen as a caretaker towards someone with a disability, the language of disability, the language that people use when they talk about it. Lauren and I get quite deep into that, as well as uh, talking about renowned Canadian pop punk band Sum 41. But yeah, I think it's a really great episode, and I really appreciate Lorraine for coming through and chatting with me on this beautiful Friday morning. So enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Lorraine. Uh, today we have a Lorraine and a Lauren. We have every variation possible of That's our name. That's true. It's Although nice. sometimes do you ever get Lorraine? Because I get that a lot when people are like, is it Lauren? And I'm like, Lorraine. And they're like, oh, Lorraine. I'm like, still wrong. I get <laughs> Laura. Laura? No, Lauren. That's mm-hmm. what I, people, I don't know why people always stop listening after the first part yeah. and they just like make up the rest. I'm like, that's fine. Just uh, get an L sound out there and, yeah. <laughs> and we'll answer. Yeah. I have friends who have a kid and her name is Laura. And they were like, so many people just call her Laura. And we're kind of like. You'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> you hit a point where you're just like, uh. Yeah, they're like, we can't we can't just correct the guy that lives across the street every fucking time. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? <laughs> um, okay, cool. So I read your beautiful essay, and I know that you are – can I say that you're the editor-in-chief of this magazine? I am still the editor-in-chief okay. for another month. For another month. <laughs> yeah. And then – And then who knows? I want to try freelancing. That's been mm-hmm. my – my big goal. And it's funny to watch people when I tell them, they're like, where are you going after? And I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to try freelancing. And you see their face just fall and like (laughs) mirror my inner anxiety (laughs) and fear that I have about taking this leap into the unknown. Um, So that's like one of the things that I'm doing. Um, I'm going to teach a course at Humber about long form magazine journalism. Hopefully write a book. Yeah. So. Hell yeah. Write that book. I love that when, book. Yeah. I love when people are going to. I have so many friends who've written like full books, and I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just do that. So, yeah, hoping the book will come out next year. Cool. Um, it's called F Bomb. It's Ooh. about feminism. Scary. Yes, that is. Well, that's interesting. Do you feel like, 
there's like a pressure on you to do like feminist writing or does that come that's like a very natural sort of like line of uh, work for you? It's interesting. When I was first taking uh, the book out, like shopping it around, I thought feminism was such a natural fit for Mm -hmm. me. And I just assumed that everyone would associate me with feminism because Mm -hmm. of this magazine, um, because it's so very feminist and, you know, socially progressive. And one of the biggest notes I got back was your name is not synonymous with feminism. So now I'm sort of doing this like backwards, (laughs) like buzz push to you know, have my brand, what a icky word, but to have that associated with feminism, which is so strange to me because yeah. I'm just like, yeah, like that's where I'm at. <laughs> that's it's me. It's kind of weird to think about my feminism as like an inherent part of me. People, when I first started doing comedy, used to be like, are oh, you a feminist comedian? And I'd be like, I don't think you have to put the word feminist there. I think mm-hmm. it's if you know me and you listen to what I do on stage, then like it will be clear to you that I'm a feminist comedian and there doesn't need to be a descriptive adjective right. in front of the word. It's just my point of view or comedian. My, like, yeah. my life. <laughs> but the fact that you would have to go, someone's like, oh, well, you have to go back and actually rebrand yourself as a feminist. Like you didn't do a good enough job with your branding yourself as <laughs> exactly. your deeply held personal and political beliefs. Sorry. Yeah. We need to know about them on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> was basically, was basically it. So, um, I find you. I think on Twitter too, you have to be kind of careful about. Mm-hmm. There's been so many, especially like white women, who've made like a name for themselves as like a professional Twitter feminist. Uh, absolutely. And to me, that doesn't hold a lot of weight. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm more impressed if you've been quietly doing editorial work that is like proudly feminist and dealing with sort of social justice and all that kind of stuff that's more impressive to me than like going on Twitter and being like bloop blorp isn't it funny how like we have to do emotional labor as women feminism you know what I mean (laughs) well I think yeah and for me um feminism is so large Mm -hmm. too so you know you don't have to be that capital f feminist Mm -hmm. on twitter like hashtag feminism yeah to be doing the work or to be exploring the issues so i think that's where i've kind of settled um i don't know if i'll ever successfully twitter anyway but (laughs) (laughs) we'll see maybe i'll create a hashtag it'll probably be about pizza not feminism but you know Feminist pizza. Um, If there's feminist pizza, it's like no sausage. Yeah, it's the most. It's the plain pizza. (laughs) It's the shrill harpy pizza. It's the pizza that you don't want to eat. Yeah, it's the pizza that you would never take home to your family. Someone recently was to me was like, it's gross, but a fried egg on pizza. I'm like, well, I'm sorry that you don't like like yourself because put a fried egg on your pizza. It's delicious. I've had it. It is good. It's so good. Or like bake one in. You know what I'm saying? I do that with leftover pizza all the time. As you should do. Yeah. You know what? I've smoked weed once or twice in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that means. <laughs> Cool. Well, I wanted to talk to you about the essay you wrote for Hazlitt about your sister. It made me cry mm-hmm. in the nail salon yesterday. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> so there you go. I was like trying not to – you know, we were watching The Hangover in the nail salon. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> – Two very different narratives. <laughs> I think the lady beside me was like, what are you looking at on your phone? Um I think what hit me about it was that, like, I related on a couple levels. First of all, like, I'm the oldest of 
for girls. I have, like, two sisters and a stepsister. I am very close with uh, all of them. And so, like, anything to do with, like, sibling relationships really gets me right in the um, gut. Uh, but also my mom's oldest sister is, and you talk about this in your piece, like how to sort of use words to talk mm-hmm. about it, but she is like developmentally delayed. Like she's like a little, she's like a kid still, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even though she's like married and all that kind of stuff. So it like hit me double because I was like, oh, I've experienced like every one of these emotions vis-a-vis my mom and her relationship right. with her sister or my relationship with my aunt and then subsequently how I like deal with my own sisters and my relationships with them. So I don't know. I just really like how you spoke about your sister and your relationship with her and how people always assume it's something that it isn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, the response that I've had to the piece has kind of been that layered response Mm -hmm. to, you know, to people who are sisters I've heard that, you know, it affected them and mm-hmm. it had that, like, gut punch. And then even more I've heard from parents of people who have children um, with disabilities or special needs. I don't, I don't think we have landed on the right yeah, language yet for that. But, you know, and for them, it's even more so, you know, they said, you know, exactly. They're related to this idea that people want to define the relationship for them, mm-hmm. whether they're a parent or a sibling, you know, it doesn't seem to matter. There's this slotting in of how, you know, we expect relationships um, to be with people with disabilities. And it's it's so often so far from the truth. But, you know, there is still that, that stereotype or that perception out there. And uh, we haven't, you know, as a, as a society, I don't <laughs> think we've really... Um, done a lot to to make it go away Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting like the language that we use around it like I can't even find a real way to like you and I who are like sort of intimately involved in the whole thing like can't Mm -hmm. even really find the proper language to not to talk about it but it's like I don't see my aunt as like anything other than like a person who I know and who I love do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and who in many ways takes care of my mother in ways that I can't I really was like struck by the way that you spoke about like care and your sort of breakdown of the idea of a caretaker or whatever because so with my sisters I always feel a like obligation to care not an obligation that's the wrong word but like I feel so strongly about them yeah Yeah. that I'm like oh you need me like I'm Mm -hmm. the oldest and you guys need me but that's not always the case like in so many ways like I need them like I would be done and like lost without them you know what I mean and so I think it's interesting to talk about care in that way and like how you care for your family and then what happens then when like that relationship is seen as sort of something unusual to other people I guess right I think it's interesting to explore the idea of care especially when it relates to disabilities because when we think about any human relationship there is this care, right? Mm-hmm. As you just said, there's this balance of care where if we're the older sibling, we feel maybe protective mm-hmm. or, you know, like we we have maybe growing up cared for them in, in some ways when, you know, parents aren't around or whatever. But, you know, as you grow up, they care for you in turn. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this perception out there that there's not that mutual caring mm-hmm. in our relationship with people with disabilities or, you know, or special needs. I think... There is an expectation 
just like a wider societal pop culture expectation that there's an imbalance in mm-hmm. that care. And I think it's just it's just a different type of care. I mean, you know, with disabilities, they expect it to be like that's that seesaw of mm-hmm. imbalance where like, you know, one person's on the bottom and the other person's way on the top. And that's so rarely the case. Um, and I think it does us like a disservice. Yeah. So often the narrative turns into like inspiration porn where people are like, totally. Well, pe- when you're like, oh, well, she helps me. People aren't like, they're like, oh, she helps you like understand how good you have it. Or like, it's like all this like deeply offensive shit about like, yeah. no, 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 no. I meant like, just literally, like, day-to-day, Yeah, like, she like does my dishes stuff. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah, I think that's what it is. You know, people, and, and, the, and I talk about it in the piece, too, but, you know, when things have happened to me, you know, when I broke my leg very badly mm-hmm. and I couldn't get out of bed or walk <laughs> for a very long time, like, she was there every weekend mm-hmm. making me tea, like, picking movies, bringing movies over, you know, keeping me company, like... She kept trying to get me to watch a dolphin's tale, which never <laughs> happened. <laughs> She's like, it's good. It's about dolphins. And I was like, we're drawing the line. <laughs> but uh, she was like, it's really sad at the end he dies. And I was like, well, then now we're not watching it. <laughs> but, you know, she does that sort of thing. And, you know, when I went uh, through my divorce, you know, she was there for me, like, emotionally and as a support and called me and, you know, made sure I was okay. And I think, yeah, there's this expectation that – rather than all that, like, very real, like, sister stuff, that it would be, like, well, I look at her and I and I see that I can go on another day because yeah. if she can do it, I can do it. And that's such bullshit. Yeah. It's interesting how, like, quick we are to, like, strip people of humanity in the weirdest way. I think it's because it's not a neat narrative. I mean, there are times, you know, when I help my sister with things that maybe other people would not help mm-hmm. their sister with. And, you know, that could be, you know, still – she still spells my name wrong, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny. <laughs> She's never not uh, mixed up the R and the U. So it's L-A-R-U-E-N. So, you know, we talk about that or, like, how to spell things and, like, mm-hmm. how to write a sentence. You know, and a reading level might not be up there. But just because there's that aspect mm-hmm. of it, it doesn't mean, yes, there's not this whole other, like, spectrum of human yeah. relationship with it. Like, one doesn't disclude the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people have a hard time wrapping their heads around. And I also think, like, I grew up in the community with my sister's friends mm-hmm. and, you know, volunteering mm-hmm. and coaching sports and things. And when we talk about segregation. Like, mm-hmm. in that way, there's so many, you know, other friends that I have are new friends that didn't grow up with me and my sister who, when they meet my sister, like, they want to ask her a question, but they talk yeah. to me like I'm her translator or something. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I call them on it after, there's a lot of, like, well, I didn't, like, I didn't know. I've never met anyone with special needs before. You know, that's sad for them. <laughs> but, yeah, right? Because it's a... Uh... It's so ingrained into society, right? Like, I went to, like, public schools my whole life. But, like, anyone who has special needs is, like, they're not in class with you. Like, mm-hmm. they're in – there was, like, a wing of our school that was, like, where all the, like, special needs classes and where all the kids with, like, disabilities were. So it's, like – yeah, it's, like, they're there. But, like, no one's, like, hey, why don't you just, like, be friends with these people? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, like, there's a bunch of adults being, like, no, no, no. 
we'll keep it separate because that is easier for us or easier for, I don't. Just fits in like the expectations. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. When my sister was ready to go to high school, um, the high school that she would have gone to, which was my high school, um, they toured it and they were like, yeah, we don't think this is the right spot for her because it was that like very segregated Mm -hmm. um, type of mentality where Mm -hmm. like the kids with special needs were over in this wing of the school. You would never see them. They would not be integrated into the classroom. And my parents were like, that's not the kind of experience that we want for her, but also that she would thrive in. So they moved to a different district. (laughs) So my sister could go to a school Mm -hmm. that had this, like, really progressive, forward-thinking program for teens with special needs um, where she would have, like, the morning in that class but then the afternoon in regular classes. Like, she did amazing there, and it was great. And, you know, I would go (laughs) to school with her, and she's so chatty. And she would bring me uh, to school, like, for, like, the school plays or whatever. She would always mm-hmm. volunteer. And I would walk down the halls with her, and she was, like, a celebrity. People would be like, hi, Carol, <laughs> hi, Carol, you know. And You're like, I'm not this popular. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this was not my high school yeah. experience. I was, like, over in the corner writing poetry yeah, or something. Like, <laughs> but, I was, like, sitting in the library all the time. Yeah, <laughs> the library was my home. Yeah, <laughs> but, same. Like, but she, like, you know, and she, that's what she needed. And I think that's what school should be like. And I remember, in fact, as a family, we've met uh, people that she went to school with who ended up going on to become like uh, special needs teachers and education educators because they had that experience and they had their own like stereotypes or narratives broken down. That's cool as hell. Do you mind if I ask where you grew up? Well, I grew up in Ajax. Um, you and some 41, am I right, yeah. Canada? Poor some 41. <laughs> Ajax is not like, <laughs> we did not take that on in a, in a moment of pride. Um, you mean it's not like welcome to Ajax, home of some 41 on the sign into town? <laughs> no. I, as, a, as an aside, I remember we used to do this auction and the sister of one of the band members still went to our high school. And she was trying to auction off, like, signed some 41 stuff, and no one was bidding on it. And it was just, like, this awkward, terrible moment (laughs) where we were trying to, like, raise money for, like, a toy drive or something. And it was, like, $5, $5. Was it, like, height of some 41 being famous in Canada, or was it, like, long after everyone was like, oh, no, we're done with this? I think they were still pretty pop. I mean, I can't ever say that I listened to them, so I don't really know. But I think they were still pretty popular. But it was just, like... We could have had like hometown pride and it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't there. <laughs> it was like, we're too cool for that. Well, there's no Celine Dion, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we can't all have Shania My heart Twain's will not go on yeah. for some 41. Because but... it's like, you know, Shania Twain is from Timmins originally. Mm-hmm. Or she's actually technically from South Porcupine, which is like just slightly outside of Timmins. Why do I know this? I don't know. Um, Brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually my dad told me because he goes snowmobiling up north all the time. Anyways, um, in Timmins. They built a Shania Twain museum (laughs) that they've since torn down because apparently no one wanted to go to Timmins originally except for (laughs) my dad and no one wanted to go after they put up a huge Shania Twain museum. <laughs> Unfortunately, like, I feel like if they put a Shania Twain museum in Toronto, hell yeah, I'm lining up for I that. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go. Why have I not been there? But maybe not for the reasons that they wanted. <laughs> like, 
I want to see, do you remember when she hosted the Junos? No. Okay, she hosted the Junos one year, and every, she had like a million outfit changes, and they were all, um, who's that fucking insane designer? I'll have to figure it out later, and I'll tell you. But it's like, every outfit she wore was a like sparkly variation on each Canadian <laughs> NHL team. Oh, this is not a lie. This is not a drill. You can find the images. Why did I miss this? I'm pretty sure I've tweeted these images before. Um, they're like, it's like a Montreal Canadiens, like, shiny dress. Like, of course it's it was. fucking insane. And it's so good. And I was just like, Shania Twain, what did we even do to deserve you as people? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I hope it was her idea. I hope she was just like, you know what I really want? Yeah. Like, NHL gowns. I like, Let's do it. feel like that is some northern Ontario hick shit. Like, I feel like that it w- probably was her idea. You know, when you get so north up in Ontario, everyone speaks that, like, fucked up French. Like, they're Franco, yeah. Franco-Ontarian. <laughs> Dirty French, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this just got so, like, very Canada-specific. But, yeah, there's parts of Ontario, American listeners, where everyone speaks a real dirty-ass French. Yeah. That no one else understands. That no one who speaks French other in other places. I would go up and be like, I don't, I can't answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not. I had a friend from New Brunswick who told me my favorite Franco-English saying, which is, uh, qu'est-ce le fuck? <laughs> I have to start using yeah, that now. I use it all the time. <laughs> it's such a good, like... Because you can say it in that, like, kind of French accent, too. Yeah, you have to try. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have to try French. A- like, anyone who actually speaks French yeah. probably will be like, no, it's not no, even close. Not. <laughs> but. Yes. I like it because it's like saying, what is the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's very philosophical in a way, really. <laughs> oh, man. I love when this podcast gets deep into Canadian. <laughs> Does your sister know that you, like, have written about her? Yeah. Well, I asked her if I could. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she quite – like, she knows what I do, but she doesn't mm-hmm. – to her, like, me writing is, like, her writing. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's not really, like, the difference. Um, but it was funny because we used a pseudonym for her. Mm-hmm. And when I called her to ask what it should be, she plays hockey. Like, mm-hmm. she's really into sports. And uh, she's had the same number. She plays goalie. And I was like, so we don't want to use your name. She's like, okay, that's good. And then I was like, what? So what name should we use? And she's like, goalie 35. <laughs> and I was just like, um. <laughs> she's like, people need to know that I play sports. And I was like, can you think of another name? She was just like, no, goalie. Like, <laughs> that's what you're using. And. She was okay with the with the pseudonym that we picked in the end. I was like, can I just use your nickname? But she does know. I've written about her before years and years ago when I wrote about, like, Special Olympics mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But is she a jock? Is your sister a jock? Is that why she was cool and had a good high school experience? She's very into sports, and she knows, like, all the sports trivia. And mm-hmm. she'll ask me about, like, hockey trades. She'll be like, is that the right trade? I'm like, I don't know. Like, why are you asking me? Like, you've asked me this question. You've asked me for, like, 20 years, and I still have never answered correctly. <laughs> Thanks for trying to involve me in your life. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's pretty, like, she's into sports. She watches sports. She plays sports. Um 
you know, like that's kind of where she's found again, like community, right? Yes. There's a lot of community in like special needs sports leagues, and that's where you meet people. Uh, that's where she meets her boyfriends. <laughs> Maybe there's like an ulterior motive. Yeah, damn. Yeah. Is that how you meet men? Because <laughs> I'm ta- not playing sports. That's what she tells me. She, just just join it. Just join a hockey team. Join baseball. Come to my baseball. <laughs> like I'm not joining a sports team to meet men. <laughs> it's not happening. That sounds worse than Tinder. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> like fucking kill me. <laughs> Yeah, I think, like, the best part of my divorce is that I have no idea what's going on with sports anymore. <laughs> and, like, the Stanley Cup happened, and, like, I had a, my uncle was in town. He's like, the, the like the finals tonight. And I was like, I totally missed that. Awesome. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. And I think, like, now I know nothing except for what my sister tells me. And she's mostly invested in, like, the attractive men of Yeah, sports, wow. You're rather than, like, the, the score. person. Yeah. <laughs> like, I last summer when baseball was like um, when the Jays were doing really well because like I find baseball very boring. I'm sorry anyone who loves baseball listens to this. Um, but I went through and picked all the members of the Jays that I thought were super hot and like remembered their names so I could be like, yes, I'm I know. Yes, I was like Jose Bautista. I know who that is. Marcus Stroman. That's another one of my sports boyfriends. Josh Donaldson also he can get it. You know what I mean? So I just like – and then people were like – She knows what she she's knows. talking about. So I was too. like, I am a person who pays attention to stuff. But other than that, I had no idea. I did a similar thing. I used to have a crush on Brett Lowry who mm-hmm. when I realized how old he was. I was like, ooh, that's, a, that's an age difference. <laughs> um, but um, So my dad bought me like a Brett Lowry shirt because I was like, he's going to be my next husband. And <laughs> – and my sister, like, really took that to heart. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I would take her to Jay's games, when she would be like, there's your husband. Let's go talk to him after. And I had to be like, uh, I'm not that brave. We're not doing that. But, uh, yeah, she she gets it. She has her own, like, roster of uh, people she would well, for her, it's Mary. Yeah. <laughs> for, for me, it might be something else. Yeah. <laughs> but for her, it's like a little call me, call yeah. me Can I ask you how long you've been divorced? Is that like too deeply personal? We've been, no, we've been separated uh, for a little bit over a year, and the divorce should be finalized soon. That's, do you feel like a stigma because you're like young in divorce? You're a, div- you're a young divorce. Yeah, guy. I know. <laughs> it's funny when uh, my husband left me and um, that was like my first, like after I got over, you know, the, the emotional like shock uh-huh. and stuff. The first thing was like, oh, my God, I'm just like 31. <laughs> I wasn't even. Yeah. I was 30. Like, about to turn 31 in a couple months. And I was like, no, I'm a divorcee. And I was like, do I need, like, a muumuu or, like, a really nice, like, caftan or something to, like, really embrace Yeah, you got to really lean into the role. Yeah. But it's funny because I think, like, I people often tell me I look younger than I am. So when, you know, they found out that I was divorced, a lot of the response was, like, are you even old enough to have been married? Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, so maybe like, so maybe it won't fully fit in. Yeah, but it's it's weird. Did you get married young? 
I didn't think I was young um, until I like I was married when I was 27. Well, that sounds so to young. me that didn't seem young, but when I was divorced, um, I had some people be like, I knew when you got married so young that you were gonna get to, you know, everyone comes so out young. and it's like, I told you so, but I think 27 seem seems totally reasonable, but. Because I was like, oh, maybe you were married when you were 21 and you'd had 10 years of marriage and then you got divorced. Thank goodness, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get it out and get it done in three years, ideally. But it's, had you been, sorry, now I'm really de- digging deep into your personal life. That's what, I've written for Hazlitt about my divorce, too. So it, <laughs> it, it comes full on circle. Brand, yeah. brand. <laughs> um, had you been together with him for like a long time before you got married? Um, a few years. We had been together for total almost eight years when we were divorced. Oh, wow. I think like the fun, almost like the, there's the stigma. And then I was just like, what is this Tinder thing? Like I yeah. never <laughs> used Tinder. <laughs> like I had all these friends who had been on it for years. Yep. And I was like, how do you set up Tinder? Should I join Tinder? And, you know, all these questions because, you know, I had been with him for most of like my dating mm-hmm. years, like outside of university. And I was like, I haven't dated. Like, how do you date? What is the protocol for dating these days? Yeah, it's totally, it's funny because I have lots of married friends. I was, One of my married friends was once like, can I play your Tinder? And I was like, it is kind of like a very bad video game. That's what I thought. I, so when I finally joined after, I was just like, is this reality? Like, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. So It's so weird. And like, I have friends who... I have a couple friends who've been with the person they're with since they were, like, in their late teens. And, like, all of us are, like, early 30s mm-hmm. now. And it's, like, they never even got the, like, okay, Cupid to, like, Tinder. Yeah, they to, never like, got to experience the full. <laughs> they never got the full. And, like, your girl out here has just been, like, hating online dating for years. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like I'm getting new experiences. Yeah. Like, online dating experiences. Now I know how Tinder works. Yeah. Or it doesn't it. work. Maybe. I mean, yeah. It's, it's funny. I definitely know people who have met and date people they met on Tinder, but it still feels very unreal to me. <laughs> like, not their relationships, but, like, the fact that it could happen because I always meet people and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> I'm It feels like though, one so. of those myths, So, Like, I remember when online dating first started and or, like, even meeting people online. Mm-hmm. And from, like, chat rooms or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you would never want to, to tell anyone yeah. that you had done that. Like, it was this embarrassing thing. And you would make up elaborate stories. Mm-hmm. And now it's just, like, you met someone you actually liked for more than one day on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. go you. Yeah. It's funny, too. Like, I've – that sort of idea of, like, like meeting people online, it's funny how, like, how normalized it is. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like – Online dating and also, like, befriending people online. Like, I have tons of friends. Like, Unchman and I knew each other on Twitter before we knew each other, like, IRL. Right. So I considered him, like, an online friend before he was my in-person friend. Um, And now we're hella tight. What's up, man? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been more successful making friends on the internet than I ever have been with online dating, which I think is, like, a very weird... Right, and, like, that's shifting now where, like, that's normal. Like, yeah. that's that's what you do when before it was just, like, you were the nerd who, yeah. like, was typing in your basement or whatever if that happens. So, yeah, like, I think that's been new. I've been trying to get my mom to online date, which has been, like, a pretty – like, we can learn together. <laughs> like, my mom is, let's um, do this. My mom has actually been way more successful in online dating than I have. 
she's like met and dated people. And I'm like, I like meet a person once. I'm like, no. (laughs) Hard pass. I don't like you actually. (laughs) Um, But my mom is so good at it. Um, I mean, she would probably disagree with that statement, but she doesn't know how to listen to podcasts. So, (laughs) yeah, my mom thinks that her identity will get stolen if she goes online. So, like, it's been, she's like, but, you know, you hear the stories. And you do hear stories, Mm -hmm. right? You mean, I've written about uh, online dating since and sort of, like, harassment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And she to try and explain to my mom what a dick pic was was, like, (laughs) like a whole new, like, mom, you want to avoid this particular yeah. like subset unless of course you want yeah unless you want it. Case, unless you welcome them and asked for them yeah in which case cool do you but also don't tell me about it yeah also i don't need to know that <laughs> yeah, mom. Please, don't show <laughs> yeah. them to me because like i'm just like holding off on seeing like old dick until yeah. i'm like that age you know what i mean yeah we can we, we can wait until i'm yeah. also in my 50s thanks yeah I, I think that's actually a really interesting part of online dating is how it was a very like young person thing and now it's just like I actually think now it's like skewing older teens and like people in their early 20s I don't think they're really super out here who knows I'm not a cool teen or in my early 20s so (laughs) I'm just hypothesizing but I do think that it's like I would wonder what the stats are of the ages on tinder like if it was more people our age and then like okay cupid and like plenty of fish is like more people in our parents age yeah that wouldn't surprise me. I'm just out here doing bad statistician yeah. work. <laughs> Let's just make them up. <laughs> Man, I would watch a reality TV show about moms using dating apps. Or moms using computers. Yeah. <laughs> even <Aww>. sometimes. <laughs> my mom is good as hell at Facebook, though. She's always sharing memes and shit, and I love it. My mom is getting her first smartphone soon. Aww. So we're, she, she wants me to go with her. Uh-huh. I don't think she realizes that I'm only, like, moderately more, like, tech savvy <laughs> than she is. But it makes me feel good. I'm yeah. like, I can pretend that I know, like, yeah. what I'm talking about. Because in comparison, like, mm-hmm. I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> so we're going smartphone shopping soon. That's, so she's like, it's just like a computer, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah it's actually, yeah, let's, it's let's totally it. a very small computer that you put in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. My dad is like very tech savvy, way smarter at it than me. But my mom is still like, my mom's had a smartphone for a long time. I don't know if she. The thing is, is like, I don't use my phone to the full extent right. of its capacity to do stuff. I'm sure, but like, my mom definitely doesn't. But she's like pretty good. I know she's like doing fine on the internet. Yeah, my dad doesn't have a cell phone. So growing up, I used a typewriter to do all my reports because my my parents were convinced (laughs) that computers weren't going to catch on. So I didn't, we didn't get a family like computer until I was in grade 12, I think. And until then, I, they gave me, like, an electric word processor. And they're like, this will work. And I was just, like, the, like, the weird kid who didn't really know how to use a computer. Oh, my God. But when we did get one, it turned out that my sister was very, like, tech savvy. Um, oh. But, like, in a very evil kind of way. So I remember I was doing – I had to do a report. And I opened up the computer. And she had somehow changed every app, like, every everything to open as a calculator. So, like, you would open 
word <laughs> and it would just be the calculator and I would try to open the internet and like the calculator would pop up. Oh my up. God, that's so funny. And like, we were just like, what have you done? And so that was the end of the first computer because no one could figure out how to undo oh my fucking God. her that's evil amazing. genius. So that's what my dad still doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't, wow. he doesn't get it. <laughs> so he still doesn't think, you know, cell phones are going to catch on. But My dad bought a computer through his work. Like when I was maybe five or six, everyone was like, at his work was like, why are you buying this? Like, what are you going to use it for? And he was like, I'm buying it for my kids. Like, I'm going to get like games and we're going to play them together on the computer. Because he was like, this is going to be. The thing. Yeah, see, your you know dad I mean? your dad was right. My yeah. dad erred on the total the total wrong side. I remember him telling me once that the first time he ever saw a calculator when he was a kid, he grew up on a farm, like second oldest of eight kids, like super mm-hmm. poor or whatever. Um, the first time he ever saw a calculator, he was like, the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, This just does math equations for you? Like, like that's sign me crazy. Up. Yeah. yeah. And then he so he got really into like the idea of like little pieces of technology like that. And so he always, like, I don't know, knew that they were making computers that were the sizes of, like, whole houses or whatever before they could sort of compact them. Um, So my dad and both of my sisters are actually, like, my one sister's, like, a programmer. They're, like, everyone in my family is infinitely more technologically savvy than I am. Yeah, when we finally did get a computer and then I moved out, I used to get calls from my dad mostly being like, how do you copy and paste? (laughs) I would have to like walk him through like how to do it. And I'd be like, press control. And he'd be like, I don't. I'd be like, right click. <laughs> like, it was just... So yeah, that was that was my that was my my life growing Fuck. up. Electronic word processor. I love that shit. <laughs> and now and I remember I went to my first internship at a newspaper and they were like, um, you know, boot up your computer and I didn't know how to turn on a computer. Oh my god. <laughs> Like, and they're like, have you never used one before? And I was like, actually, no. My family are Luddites. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. That's so funny. All right. Well, Lauren, it's yes. very nice to meet you. And I appreciate you coming through. Yes. You know, thanks for having me, Lauren. <laughs> Almost named twins, but yeah. not quite. Well, you know what? We could start a cool girl group. Yeah. Lauren and Lauren. Like Tony, Tony. Tony. (sighs) Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much once again to Lauren McKeon for coming through. Really appreciate that. Check out her work as the editor-in-chief of this magazine. Also, read all the stuff she's written, especially for Hazlitt. Give us those clicks, baby. Tavern of Secrets is brought to you by Hazlitt. That's why I'm telling you to come to the website. Uh, It is, as always, hosted by me, your girl, Lauren Mitchell. Uh, Our theme song was made by Bianca Giulione. Our show is, as always, produced by my wonderful and beautiful friend, Anshaman Itamsetti. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and on our website, cavernofsecrets.com. You can and should follow us on Twitter. We are at Cavern of Secrets. And if you like what we're doing, you should totally give us a rating on iTunes because that is so lovely and we love when you do that. And if you're still with me, God bless you. Uh, I'd like you. I'd love it if you visited nowmagazine.com. They currently have a reader's choice poll poll going on. And if you can throw us a vote for best podcast in Toronto, because I think we are.
are, uh, or we're one of them anyways. We're the best on that list. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be humble. Uh, that'd be so rad. Uh, so once again, I'm Laura Mitchell, and as always, I appreciate the hell out of every single person that listens to this, uh, and we'll see you in two weeks. 